Oh, yes. This is the Hardcore Marketing Show. I'm Casey Cheshire, your host for this epic journey. And today's show, sponsored by Cheshire Impact, on a mission to help people maximize their use of Pardot and Salesforce. CheshireImpact.com. Hey, everyone. Before we get started with the show, I'm excited to announce two things. First is that my book, Marketing Automation Unleashed, is now live on Amazon. So go get it. The second thing is we have a new sponsor, Qualified.com. I'm going to tell you about them in the next couple seconds here and also how you can get a free copy of my book thanks to them. So who are these people? Well, Qualified is the number one live chat and chatbot platform for Salesforce and Pardot. Sales reps can have real-time personalized conversations with who? Your hottest website visitors. So I want you to know, I don't just partner with anyone. I genuinely love these guys and the platform, we use it at my company. Our sales team loves it. We've closed a lot of deals based on it. Um, had a lot of great conversations with prospects too. So, you know, a lot of marketing these days is what? Hurry up and wait, right? Fill out this form. And then if we pass you over to sales, maybe you'll swap six emails with them to find a good time to talk. But what if a prospect is doing research right now and they would chat now? Why not give them the opportunity? So the best part is your company actually decides what leads are worth a live chat. There's a lot of noise out there. You don't want to talk to everyone. So Qualified actually connects to Salesforce and Pardot, and it's able to pull in lead and contact information. So you can specifically know if you're talking to a VIP, a VP, a decision maker. It's really kind of like magic. Now, if you don't know who someone is, well, what happens then, Casey? Well, that's when the bots come in handy. Chatbots can then ask you know, questions to further qualify a lead. Find out if maybe this is someone you do want to talk to. And they can book meetings while your sales team is out. And they can wake up the next morning with a bunch of meetings on their calendar. Now, here's the promo. If you are a company that wants to give your sales team this ability, right, to be able to talk to decision makers right when they're on your website, do this. Go to qualify.com and start a chat, right? They use their own tool, of course. Start a chat. Tell them that Casey sent you. If you have Salesforce Pardot, when you schedule and then do a demo, they will send you a free copy of my book, Marketing Automation Unleashed. Not bad, right? Well, it's only while supplies last. So hop on this thing today. And that's it for sponsors. Let's get to the show. All right, there it is. I hit a button and then we record technology. It's amazing. Ready to go. So excited. Love it. So, hey, everyone, welcome. I can't wait to introduce you to my guest today. She is amazing. She's a very passionate marketer, and she has she's done it all, right? She Brand development, marketing and comm strategy, tech, software, advertising, all these things, this whole budget management. There's so many things, and so we're going we're gonna to find out what's up in marketing these days and learn some strategies to, to together. And one of the things she, she really loves is the idea of finding balance between getting that data then also balancing it with you know your gut and the emotional intelligence side of things. So I'm excited to learn all these things. Uh, she's a growth manager and director of marketing and business development at Aronson. Carrie Hankey, welcome to the show. Thank you. I'm so excited to be here. Man, there's just so many things to say about you. I'm, yep. <laughs> that was like the, that's the emoji that's like, what, what can uh, I say? <laughs> I don't know what to say. Yeah, no, no, no. So yeah, I'm excited to dig in today and get to know you and go through this process. This is exciting. Yeah, no, totally exciting. And I'm glad you're here. And it's our marketing leadership series. And we're going to start the show off the way we start every show. I'm going to pass you this thing. It's kind of heavy. Here we go. Okay. You got it. Here you go. Um, I got it. Oh, wow. Look at that. Thor's hammer in your hands now. Smash for me some kind of marketing myth bogus strategy, misconception that just drives you crazy, you want yeah. to set the record straight once and for all. I'm excited about this question. Um, and I've heard so many myths like listening to your show. Um, but the one myth that I feel like that has followed me throughout my entire marketing career has been that marketing is the process of making things look pretty. Hey. And I think, yeah. yeah. And I think, you know, I mean, if you take a look at our times and kind of consider like what that really means right now, like if you think strategic marketing during the COVID-19 pandemic is going to, um, you know, keep your business from failing, like you're wrong, right? Like that's right. not the right solution. 
Um, so I think, I think when people say that, what they really mean is, can you help make sure that this piece of collateral or thought leadership piece is on brand, you mm -hmm. know, and that's okay. And that is an element of marketing and it is important, but the idea of like marketing always be that department where people kind of come, not at a strategic, strategic level, but to basically like bring the colors and the logo to put their stamp of approval on it. I think that yeah. that's just a myth that needs to be busted. Yeah. It's like marketing is the tactical task rabbit shop, you know, just yeah. running around with, you know, colors and ink and markers and we're gonna make things pretty and on brand and then we're gonna disappear like magic branding fairies yeah right and it's an element of marketing like i said but it's True. not it's not really the right way to use a strategic marketing department when you have a lot of talent there that can do so many strategic things totally and, and like you said like now is the time to actually use marketing not this illusion of it why do you think people consider marketing this like you know fancy shop i don't what it where did i that don't come think from? i don't think that they understand like the data and analytics piece of of marketing i think uh, you know it's easy to associate marketing with like you know brand colors and and tone and those types of things like you know people identify a brand with a website and like all of that is important right. but if you give marketing a seat at the table during a strategy session where we can ask questions like Who's the core audience? What are you trying to convey to this audience? What are your goals in reaching this audience? Then I think that team can kind of help build better deliverables for like an overall campaign and rather be like the go-to for, like you said, a task, mm -hmm. um, you know, a thought leadership piece or such. Right. You know, it seems like marketing has this overall view of things. Like we, we see it from like the 10,000 foot view, whereas a lot of the other departments are in their little silos, you know? Yeah. They're bad silos. We need everyone's silo, but like everyone's doing their thing, head down, you know, I got to close this lead. I got to balance yeah. this checkbook or deliver this product or service or code. But right. no one's taking, taking a step back. Like you said, like, okay, who do we want to talk to? Are right. they our ideal audience or should we talk to someone different? Like right. no one else is asking those questions. I think to your point too, um, if you look at like the structure of an organization, so the or organization that I work for now, Aronson, um, you know, we're part of a core operations team and our operations team really touches like all of the other departments and service areas in the organization. And there are things that we learn by working in operations and with all of our industry and service groups that can apply elsewhere, you know, so we're this kind of like collection of all things Aronson. And if we are leveraged appropriately, we can bring all of that expertise across all of our other departments and service areas. And I feel like make mm. a bigger impact when we have a seat at the strategic table. You know, does it, does it feel like the, um, maybe you've got it figured out, so it doesn't, but it's like, it can easily be like chicken and the egg. Like, how do you get a seat at the table if they don't understand what you do? And then if you don't, they don't understand what you do, then, you know, like, do you, how do you get out of that cycle so that you do get a seat at the table? Badger. <laughs> Badger? I like it. Yeah. No, I think it's, it's, it's being results-based. So I think like there's a lot of marketing sometimes that can't be attributed, you know, to like a tactic, for instance. Like you can't yeah. always tie success back to your strategy. But in the cases and instances where you can set up a campaign and map that out and kind of get the data that supports that your initiative did well and you can articulate how that happened the more times you do that i feel like the more times you prove your worth and your value and eventually somebody says oh well maybe we should bring this person into the room to talk about this at a strategic level instead of saying here why don't you bring us to the finish line right prove that value i like, I like how you said that like you're proving that value over and over again yeah like a badger yeah like, hey, this happened here let's show you this let's show you this and never yeah. quit on that and eventually they're like hmm maybe we need to get their input on this yeah exactly wow wow well that's cool what would be like the first step right people because you know let's say someone's listening to this and they are legit the print shop for the sales team right now they yeah they make binders and collateral and they get to do content every now and then, but it's like they are the print shop. They might as well be FedEx Kinkos at this point. Do you, yeah. What would be a good first step for, for them to get out of that? Of the people that's actually executing on like the content production 
Well, yeah, like they're they're doing that, but they're definitely now the seat of the table, and they're definitely the pretty fancy makers and their company. That's how everyone views them at the organization. Is yeah. there like a first step? Is there something that's you do? A, for- yeah, like I think that that's like a deep, complicated question. I think yeah. maybe step one would be like asking about like what is who is this project for? Like who's mm. the audience? you know, and digging into the messaging and offering support for how to make the content better from that perspective. Maybe that's step one. Asking those questions. Yeah. Asking the questions. Yeah. What's the goal? What's the goal of this? What are we trying to, is this a growth based campaign? Are you trying to like acquire leads? Is this, you know, something that's focusing on client experience, customer experience? Is that really, you know, does this piece align with that? It's kind of ask, asking like the goals question and then evaluating the content from the perspective of, is this really going to help us get our goal, meet our goals? Yeah, that's so true. Like and then that. I guess the tertiary piece of that is, um, do we have metrics in place to help us track if this is successful? As a step two, to be able to show that ROI metrics. Right. And ensuring that you have like the systems in place, whether it's through like market intelligence, like with your B2B sales team, or if it's your CRM where you're, where you actually have like an automated, um, you know, campaign running where you can track it. It's just ensuring that you have it properly set up so that you do have the ROI metrics in place. Huge, right? Because then you can actually point to some numbers. It's not just good feelings and, and a story, but like a story with like, here's some data. You know, to right. your point about the the balance of the data and the feeling, like here's some actual data that you can look at to say, right, this is what we did. Data and and the market intelligence piece because some of it is, you know, if you have a really good sales team that does a great job at like tracking kind of like their processes, mm-hmm. and you're using a CRM, um, so you can kind of quantify what you're putting into it. Um, sometimes you don't need like the hard oh this converted to a sale, right? Like sometimes mm-hmm. you just need to be able to see that a relationship is progressing and that is also success. And you do that through like your, your sales team. Right. Absolutely. Okay. I'm writing some notes down. Yeah. That makes total sense. Um, sometimes you can track it. Sometimes you can't, but then if sales sees that relationship moving forward too, that, and, and they're like, wow, thank you marketing. That that's a success as well. Right. Exactly. Now you mentioned a couple of times the idea of just taking a step back to say, you know, who is this for? Um, how do you get to know your, your audience? How do you get to know your customers? Um, what's your take on that? Let, you, know, you start a new position tomorrow or like you, let's say you just got to, and it's Aronson. Is that? Aronson. Yeah. Aronson. Yeah. I keep saying it the wrong way. I don't know why. And it's like built in. Aronson. Right. You get to Aronson like today. How do you yep. figure out who their customer base is? And I know it's kind of cheating because you already know them, but like, how would you go about that? Or how did you go about that? Yeah, no, I think I still have a long way to go because financial services, professional services, rather, um, I have, I had limited experience Mm. in it when I started at Aronson. So like, I really focused kind of like listening internally, right? So asking to be part of meetings, um, meeting with like our industry group leads, because we have five core industry focuses and understanding like how they interact with our clients, what our clients needs are. And then just repeating that over and over because what we do is so complicated and I don't have a financial services backgrounds. So I think it's, it's, you really kind of start internally and then you start paying attention to engagement rates on your campaigns mm-hmm. and you pay attention to, you know, any feedback that you're getting from customers or prospects in the marketplace. And you kind of like aggregate all that information right. and that helps to inform like kind of how to move forward. Got it. Those internal conversations can be really helpful. Being helpful and hard. Yeah. Especially if it's some tech. I mean, what, what is, Aronson do you mean from an industry focused perspective yeah just in general because because you're saying like you know different companies sometimes it's I mean Lyft we kind of get it oh you you move people from here to there but like yeah companies we're not so lucky we have these like very interesting products and services yeah so Aronson's broken up into three core service areas so assurance consulting and tax we provide those services and then we have five industry verticals so we focus in construction and real estate um, nonprofit and trade associations. Um, of course, I'm going to take forever to get to this. Professional services, technology, and then government contracting, which is our lar- largest service area. So we have like a mix of everything going on uh-huh. across those industries. And really, like you can 
talk to one partner who focuses in government contracting, but there's overlap in the service area. So what they provide to customers is different depending on who they're servicing. Wow. So it's very, it's kind of complicated. How do you, how do you keep that straight? How do you keep like, you know, five different verticals, three different services, all 15 different options or more? Yeah. How do you keep that straight in the marketing side? I think we just rely, it's really, really complicated. So we have yeah. some, um, tenured employees, both on the marketing and the BD sales side, and yeah. um, they're really great at their craft. So I rely heavily on the team um, that I work with. And then the industry group leads within our partner group who are kind of the conduit from like their partner groups and the operations team. You know, um, I think verticals is a smart, smart approach. It's like you're talking to them in their own language. Any, any yeah. tips for anyone if they're, they're kind of just blasting to everyone right now and they're like, I, I should probably address some verticals in my company. Like how do you discover them or how do you really take care of people in the different verticals? Yeah. So do you mean internally, like internal customer service? No, more of like on the marketing side. Do you, do you go after people in the certain verticals and do you have like content specifically for them? Or Yeah, we do. And I think it's, you know, it's evolving. Mm -hmm. um, I think when I started with the organization last, last August, we didn't do a lot of target marketing. Like we had our, mm -hmm. we called subscriber lists um, made up of our customers, but also our prospects. And we did a good job of like ensuring that like tax notifications went out to all of our, mm, our subscribers, mm -hmm. but like we not, didn't necessarily do a great job of kind of segmenting our population and delivering content that was appropriately appropriate for specific industries. So I think that we've come a long way in the way that we're approaching targeted marketing, I would say. Yeah. Um, yeah. And we're really relying like on our partners to kind of deliver to us, like what are, what are the thought leadership pieces that should be developed? What campaign should we be deriving and executing for the year? How frequently might this change? And then we're also relying on our, on our business development team um, to kind of tell us the same thing. So we're getting it both from the partner side and then the business development side. That's cool. Yeah. Do you ever, like, especially when it's something complicated, do you talk to customers directly? And um, if so, how does that work? Yeah, I think so. I think we're getting a little bit better. We're actually, you know, we're, we're great on a partner level um, reaching out to our clients and staying in touch with them, but we're mm -hmm. actually getting ready to launch a client service type of initiative where we're, oh, cool. we kind of delve into a little bit more and we focus on some key relationships and kind of like, you know, reach out to them more often, maybe even do some surveys so that we're getting more Intel more frequently from them. So we are delivering the content that's relevant to them and the customer service. Cool. Cool. That makes sense. Um, it, did I hear earlier that you'd said that you manage both the SDR side and the marketing side? Yes. And how do you do that? And do you yeah. have like nine arms? Both sides of my brain. Yeah. Like a time travel device. <laughs> yeah. You know, I've done it a couple of times in my career. So where I was before I was in marketing and communications and then BD was an offshoot of that, but there was like a supervisor in a position, um, with me that kind of handled like the day-to-day -day of BD and then I handled the day-to-day -day of marketing yeah. and it worked well, but like you kind of need like two leaders handling mm. both sides of the house in my opinion. Um, but then before that, I also handled marketing and BD for a nonprofit trade association when I worked in DC and it's hard. Yeah. It's hard because it's re it really uses two sides of your brain. And there's really like you have the marketing funnel, like, you know, and your marketing team's like really responsible for generating leads and like having, developing a presence and establishing a presence in the marketplace yeah. and then BD, if you can focus them on relationships and kind of like the end of the funnel and even client relations for that matter, if you have some key relationships, I feel like that's the only way I can handle both at the same time. Interesting. So one is that bigger picture showing up in the, showing up out there in, in the world and ecosystem and yeah. getting some interest created and then, which we kind of all know, but then so different on the BD side where it's, not so macro it's more one-on-one -on -one relationship building and right you know in some calls. right and some like you know having a presence with like key association partners like i would say that that's mm. a business development responsibility sure um you know handling our like sponsorship type relationships like that's what the bd team does from like a brand exposure standpoint but besides that they really focus on kind of like developing cultivating and handling like key relationships do you, do you have like certain kpis and metrics you, you hold that team accountable for 
Yeah, I think so. That's still evolving for us, I would say. Um, and it's tough too. So we don't like Aronson as a B2B organization. We don't focus on like hard sales. We focus on relationships. And so the approach is really different than places where I've worked in the past. Um, so for, for them, we try not to focus on like numbers per se. We focus on like the strategy and the initiatives mm. and the intel that we get back. Um, and those are kind of measurements for that team. Right. Right. Okay. That makes sense. You, you can't always have like a factory going and that may not be the right, especially when it's dealing with money or it's dealing with right relationship is, it can be much more valuable, but to your point, you can't always, it's not always a metric you're not tracking. No, I don't think so. Yeah. Yeah. Especially right now. Like, I mean, times are so crazy. Um, yeah. We actually stopped like our marketing kind of like, not that we had like a hard, hard marketing strategy necessarily or BD strategy in the marketplace, yeah. but like we kind of put everything on, on pause for a couple of weeks until we could get our feet back under us and realize like, Hey, what can we be providing to our customers? What is, what are prospects looking for right now? Right. And it's not the, Hey, can I get a meeting with you? Ask, right. It's the, mm. here's some thought leadership that I think is really important for you to be able to process like your PPP loan application. Right. Um, so we did, we put a complete pause on some of our marketing and BD efforts until we could kind of think strategically about like how we should respond in current times. It's, it's so smart to do that, right? Because so many people, if you leave your automations on right now, right. you can look like a complete idiot or worse, if you in invoke the COVID word in your email campaigns and yeah. aren't trying to be helpful. It's like, unless you're a, a nurse or you're going to help me get my PPP, like I really don't want to take a meeting and I no. don't want to read your stupid email. I'm going to unsubscribe. So you got to really right. be careful. Yeah. I know. Exactly. Interesting. Um, so it's not, can I get a meeting? It's more around helpful content. Yeah. And it sounds like your, your different thought leaders in the, in the organization are, are giving you some of this content that you can then get out to the, to the masses. Yeah. They've been churning through it. It's been kind of remarkable. I think that we had like a hundred blog posts, like in this, the course of like a two week, three week period. Did you like email them all out or what did you do with all of well, them? Well, we, we posted, so we had to take a different approach where we kind of like bundled, we broke everything down by industry. So we have like a court, we have an advisory services hub and a COVID hub. And we like put all of the content there in categories. That's smart. I, we, and we had to like figure that out on a daily basis. Cause like first we started getting content and then we were like, well, what are we going to do with this? We're like, right. well, obviously you need to go on the website. So it's like, literally we were doing like live website updates for like two weeks straight where the website looked a little bit different every day. Cause we we're like, we had to think differently about mm -hmm. it based on what was being kind of like thrown at us. And it was all relevant, helpful content. Right. Um, so it was just kind of an evolving process. Yeah. And that's great. That's helpful content too. It's not like the rubbish that no one's going to actually read. It's things that they could actually yeah. could help them right now. Right. Exactly. Yeah. It's smart. I mean, I'm, I'm thinking of like even Cheshire impact, you know, we're, you know, going to the PPP route, just trying to get that in. And, you know, there's, I've seen helpful content, which I remember one is like a you know, forgiveness calculator. And another thing was like, a, do you qualify or like, you know, what, yeah. what you need to take if you don't have people that you can, you know, like, uh, thankfully, there's really smart people in our team that can, like, they, yeah. they're handling it. But if I didn't have those people in the team, you would really, um, and even then, we're, every time we got a resource, we're all sending it around internally. Like, hey, check out this this document. Check out this document. Right. You know, try to get that information out. It's smart. And then put it all in, like, a center of excellence or some kind of a center right. so that you're not sending 30 emails a day. Right. I don't think, I mean, I'm sure we didn't get it perfectly right. But we were mindful of the process oh, totally. and the team was highly collaborative yeah. um, and everybody worked like really hard to kind of figure things out, you know, as quickly yeah. as we could because we knew that some of the resources were really critical. Right, right. See, now when I see emails saying, hey, have you applied for the PPP? I was like, uh, <laughs> if, you're, yeah. if you're getting this email now and trying to apply now, the chances yeah. are not likely that uh, you're going to get anything. Um, yeah. I think Bank of America had something like 100,000 applicants. I can't even, I have a neighbor actually that works in banking and with the second round of the PPP, I guess there were restrictions mm. that were put on like processing counts per hour. So he was like right. working until like two o'clock in the morning to help the, the bank process those loan applications because there were restrictions on the quantities per hour that they could is so. your friend a marketer or just actual like a banker in the bank? He's just in banking. Yeah. 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 We, we've got some, some good people. We work with some banks that we work with and mm 
um, a lot of the marketers were like, temporarily, I'm a loan officer. <laughs> right, exactly. <laughs> I know. Like all hands on deck. So, yeah. It, it's also interesting, too, that, you know, there's a lot of businesses instantly, like restaurants, like, I'm glad I'm not a restaurateur. I have know some friends that are, and it's like, that is rough. Yeah. Uh, yeah, let's support those people. But other industries and other types of customers are still buying, right? So it's one right. of those myths that, oh, no one's buying anything. We're all locked in our homes. And no, no actually, there's still some industries, not travel, but the financial yeah. world. Um, there's a lot of different, different areas where people do need that marketing to still happen. So I think yeah. it's smart that you sort of paused for a second and say like, okay, what do we need to be doing here? And then just went crazy to try to help people out. Yeah, that's a good thing. So marketing automation, what's your take on it? I, you know, how, do you, how do you do tech, marketing automation yeah. or any other tech and marketing without losing your soul? You know, without losing, you got that overall strategy, you're, you're, you get the big picture and then yeah. along comes some technology, shiny new thing. How, how, do you, how do you yourself like, you know, mentally keep them sorted and then figure out how you build on that without say just going crazy in the tech side? Yeah, I think that that's such a good question. And I don't have like the perfect answer for you, I don't think. Right. And I think um, every company I've ever worked for has done it a little bit differently. Um, I've seen a lot of successes and a lot of failures. Um, and currently in my current position, I think that we can become better at it by just leveraging like like our systems um, better than, than how we leverage them now. But a success story that I have for, for marketing automation is um, – where I worked before Maryland Auto Insurance, yeah. we set up like a lead distribution system. So we had like our call center talking to our CRM and our CRM handling our B2B relationships, the people that sold our policies. Um, and we set that up and it was like a, a, a program that we launched and in like two years, we generated like $4 million in sales, right? So like mm -hmm. that's an example of a success, but then I've been in other companies where we just don't leverage it at all. So I think it's it's, understanding like the systems that you're using and ensuring you're using them to their capacity um, and then designing kind of like small projects that you can like implement things along the way. Cause if you want to carve out like a huge, like a CRM implementation and then launch a bunch of marketing automation campaigns all at once, like that's a huge thing to kind of like chew at one time. Mm -hmm. So it's, it's, it's parsing it all out and setting reasonable goals with the systems that you have. And if you recognize that you don't have a great system, it's, it's setting up a process for a change, which is also, I would say equally as challenging. Right. Right. I and mean, that's smart, you know, parsing out to small projects, little chunks, you know, like bite-sized chunks you can get after yeah. not trying to eat the whole elephant in one day. Right. Go after it consistently, deliberately. Yeah. Smart. Where do you, where do you see the, the future going these days with marketing and tech and all these different things, anything coming around the corner that's got you intrigued or, or like, mm, maybe we should watch out for that in good or bad ways. Yeah, I think so. I, I wouldn't say like specific tech technology I'm watching, but I would say buckets of technology I'm trying to pay attention to. Okay. I think a couple things. So one would be like mobile technology. Okay. Like I think so many firms, both B2B and B2C, have struggled to leverage like what mobile has to offer. And I'm not just talking about just apps, but like user experience on mobile. Um, so many times I like go to use my cell phone for like a grocery order or, you know, something yeah. and mobile technology falls short. I'm like, how did you design an interface that doesn't even work when you hit submit? I feel like big brands that you would expect to have success um, with mobile user experience, some of them don't. So I think that marketing, I'm hoping that, technology really progresses with mobile down the road. Interesting. Yeah. Um, That's a B2C example, but there are B2B examples as well. No, no, but it's, it's, I mean, it's a practical point. Right. And, and, you know, sometimes I think when we add new fangled things like, Oh, let's add chat to a website. And then yeah. like, have you considered what it looks like on your mobile? Yeah. Or does it take up the screen? And then what drives me crazy is when you can't actually get to the thing. Or you can't yeah. see it because some other frame, it, and it's like all someone had to do was just pull it up on the website and be like, "Right, hey, is this is this workable?" No, yeah. it's not. Well, I don't know. I don't know if marketers just don't know. Like maybe they don't focus on um, 
the user experience when they're building out websites sometimes, or if it's like, I don't know whose job that is. If it's like the hiring person, the advertising agency, I have no idea, but I've seen it done wrong so many times that, you know, we pay attention to it whenever we have to build things out on our site. Right. We just put out a site, um, a website for Aronson Capital Partners. They're an M&A division of Aronson. Nice. And like we had to cross that bridge when we were talking about, oh, well, what happens when a user wants to reach out to, you know, one of our partners in that division? Like, what is that experience? Like, are we going to do a click to call feature? Like, what are our mobile users? Like, so we had to like go through that, that process and we ended up designing something that we thought that would be useful for our specific clients. But um, I've noticed that not, not everybody does that. Yeah, that is interesting. That not, um, by the way, cool site. Um, oh, cool. Are you yeah, on it? I like the backgrounds, like all connected world. Yeah. Um, you're right. Like uh, my thought when you're saying that was like, who owns it? You know, and if not marketing, <laughs> nobody, it sounds like. And if, and, well, and if marketing's too busy because they don't have enough bandwidth, then sorry, no one's looking at customer experience. And then you get like the Tom's thing that happens. Right. Yeah. So I think it's like at, at the onset of a, of a digital project like that, like identify mm. like who owns the client experience. Like one would probably expect an advertising agency to help you navigate through that. But I think ultimately it's the, the brand's responsibility to, to make sure that the user experience is what it should be. Right. But it brings a good point. I mean, not every company has a client experience department. Right. So yeah. someone needs to be mindful of that. And like that's right. what we'll have to do in marketing too. Is like, hmm, let's think about this. Um, what is it like between this and this? Are there any gaps in this process? From right, start exactly. To yeah. Yeah. Huh. Um, so yeah, it'll be interesting to see because I know we've gotten so used to like Netflix and Amazon. It just works, you know? It just, yeah. I can just buy things. It already knows my credit card. I just leave it in there and it just, and it just shows up. Right. Kind of magic, really. But it just shows up and you're like, okay. So we're so used to that. So that if you go to try to, I do kind of cringe sometimes when I have to buy something not on Amazon. Yeah. You know? <laughs> like, it's true though. Yeah. Like Tom's, for instance, or any of these other ones where it's like, ah, have you got it figured out? I mean, I, I bought a hat the other day, one of those like clover hats with a cool. Clover. Yeah. And um, thankfully their process was smooth, but thankfully all I was buying was a hat. So if it, yeah. if it was complicated buying a hat, it'd be like, look, if you guys can't handle selling a hat, please don't sell anything else. But thankfully they had it very smooth. You know, the thing goes here and this and that. It was all just, it worked. But um, yeah, no problem having friction for either the B2B or B2C process, that friction in there just gets in everyone's way. Yeah, I agree. Hmm. I have two more. I have two more technology things for you. Oh yes. Are you smashing? What do you? Are you best practice? No, I'm not. I, I'm up? just throwing some things out there because I just wanted yeah. to get your take and talk about them a little bit. So one is, um, like the idea of data visualization. Yeah. First of so, all, is it data or is it data? I say data. What do you say? I don't know. Well, I messed up. Aronson. Aronson. <laughs> so I'm sure I'm going to mess up data. I think I say data a lot. Um, yeah. Is that a New England thing though? It could be. It very yeah. could be. Yeah. Um, data. Also, you know, Starship Enterprise had somebody on, named Data on there for a while. So um, I don't know. I just, yeah. Uh, data. Data does sound smarter though, doesn't it? I think does it? it? I don't know. I think it does. Okay. I just, so I've always said like data. What do you want to do today? You want to do data today? Yeah. I want, so I want to talk a little bit about data visualization. So I feel like, yeah. um, I think I mentioned at the beginning of our conversation, like the importance of being able to like articulate like your marketing strategy yes. from like the strategy to the execution and then ROI. And totally. I think sometimes like, you know, when you're delivering a presentation, like it's really hard to dig into like, like core marketing metrics, right? Right. Like engagement metrics and like cost per click and, you know, a lot of people that don't work in marketing every day, like it's really hard to kind of get those points across. Um, you know, and I've, I personally haven't used, but I've had folks on my team that have used Microsoft Power BI mm. and it's a really powerful tool if you know how to use it. But I feel like you need like a PhD in order to navigate the tool itself. Yeah. BI people are a rare breed. They're <laughs> rare, but when yeah. they can use the tool, like what, what that system can produce is really pretty amazing. Yeah. Wow. So, what, what, what kind of things have you seen it produce or seen these people create? 
Just um, so um, in a former position, we used to send like kind of like our monthly reports to the board. And so we tracked like engagement metrics from our website, from our campaigns, but then also like that lead distribution program that I mentioned to you, like, you know, what our conversion rates are and all of that. And then we also were able to dig into like, you know, demographic data and like layer right. in just like any data point that we wanted, we could use that tool to layer in whatever we needed to tell, like whatever story we were trying to tell. Sure. So I, I could yeah. see that like it, it's helpful to take the numbers off of like rows and columns using BI tools or just really visualize that for everyone. Like it helps yeah. tell the story. Right. And I just don't, and I haven't done a lot of searching. So I was just wondering if you have like experience with any data visualization tools or if that's come up whenever you've done these podcasts in the past. You know, it's really interesting. I, I think it's probably something we should talk to more people about because I, I don't, um, yeah, I don't, I don't think it's, it's really been talked about enough. Um, I think we talked a lot about people not having the right data, you know, or yes. having dirty data, right? Dirty data, dirty data. Dirty <laughs> data. Um, but like, yeah, how, how, how to get the numbers off a page yeah. and to really convey the story um, to the board or to whoever needs to see it because they're your audience too, you know, and we, right. we do so much time, we're customizing our message for prospects, hopefully, but we also need to, you know, think about how we internally communicate. And to your point earlier about winning a seat at the table, you need to convince some people, you need to show them some things that they can understand. And I think visualization comes in there. Yeah, I think so too. You know, I, I do know that Salesforce has been making like huge purchases around that area. They, they have. You know, gobbled up Tableau for like yeah. billions of dollars. Right. It's like, hey, let's write them a check. Write them a check, guys. Billion, one, zero, lots of zeros. Here you go. You're part of the Salesforce family. And I know that's a huge, one of yeah. the top tools for data visualization. I don't know where they go with that, but I also know they're doing the B2B marketing analytics and the Einstein yeah. analytics with Salesforce and Pardot. And, and it's interesting to think about that. And, and I think in the past you would layer on a tool. But now yeah. with the marketing analytics, you can start seeing those really colorful graphs that you couldn't see in the past. Because I think in the past, Pardot reports were kind of what they were. And Salesforce could be kind of neat with dashboards, but they weren't, they weren't that sort of customizable visualization that you're talking about where you can actually dive in. And if somebody, yeah. God forbid somebody has a question in the old days, you just, this is the report you see. We get back to you in three days with a new one. But like now you can change a, a drop down and it'll just change the whole report in front of people. So I yeah, think things are definitely changing in that front for some reason. I should take a look at Tableau. I remember when yeah. I was at a former position, we looked at it and we just didn't use it for some reason, but we were using Salesforce, but um, yeah, I should take a look. Yeah. And especially now that they're the same company. Yeah. Uh, I know it's probably, I don't know if it's the number one, but probably it, if not, now we'll, we'll soon will be number one there's also domo do you ever do you ever bump into that no mm -mm. um domo is this uh it's a bi tool as well i'm looking it up now too yeah and I, the only reason it's funny marketing wise the only reason i know about them is because is at salesforce events and dreamforce remember one year at dreamforce they were giving out bose headsets for <sighs> 300 whatever dollars uh, all you had to do is watch a demo that's amazing like, i love wow. dreamforce what's that I love Dreamforce. I haven't been to it yeah. in a couple of years, but it's such a good conference. The years you've been, who was the band? That's how I keep track of it. Oh, them. I don't even remember. Don't when was remember. the last time I was in DC? Do you remember? Hmm. Oh, wait. Um, Dreamforce is always in San Fran. So there was a Dreamforce conference though in oh, DC. there's like a world tour. They do like the world tour. Yeah. So yeah. it must've been an offshoot. It's like a one day Dreamforce version. Yeah. 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 Totally. That's when actually we, so I was with my team at the time and that's when we dreamed up the um, lead distribution program that I mentioned earlier oh, on the wow. call. Was it, it was at such, the event or just? We were at the event and we were just like, oh, what, how are we going to, because we were like launching a new website and like our first ever marketing campaign, uh, advertising campaign and such. And we we're like, oh, well, this is how we should handle our leads. Oh, well, what do we need to do that? And it just kind of like all clicked at that conference. So. Wow. Anyway, yeah, go Dreamforce. Right. And that's something like the reports will never actually show, but good feedback for the yeah. Dreamforce team. Like, Hey, you in, like inspired some creativity, you did that. And some innovation and exactly all that. 
Yeah. Yeah. I, I think definitely check out Tableau. Um, and then also um, the Einstein, Salesforce. And I mean, there's the whole cloud called Einstein is like, mm-hmm. not only is it visualization of data, but it's also kind of, they're building in predictive lead scoring and they're building in all sorts of futuristic AI. I know people are throwing that word around, but they're- I don't know enough about it to talk about it though. <laughs> right, right. I, I know enough that there, no one's building like, you know, Skynet. No one's building like Terminator 2. Um, yeah. They're just like tools to help people find patterns. Mm-hmm. Uh, and yet they're calling it AI and it's the best thing since sliced bread. But some of that is happening in Einstein, Salesforce's Einstein cloud where- all the other things tie into it and you're actually able to start bringing in data from other places. Okay. Tie into Salesforce data. That's cool. Yeah. I have yeah. to take a look at it. All right. The last piece of technology, if I'm not getting us too off the yeah, rails. Totally. This is, we're just hanging out. Maybe. Good. Perfect. Maybe this ties into AI to a certain degree, but it's, it's contact management and the yeah. evolution of that. Like how our systems are going to handle that over time. Right now, um, we use a tool called one place and it's built on the Salesforce platform. Okay. Um, and we have like all of these like contact management, like add-ons in order to get our contacts in appropriately into our system. And I'm just like, why doesn't our system just do this? Like it's, it seems to be so complicated, like how we have to use multiple systems to manage our contacts. Like there's gotta be an evolution at some point that makes it easier. Yeah, and you have this, so this one place sits on top of Salesforce? Yeah. Yeah. It's this interesting challenge because Salesforce itself, like vanilla Salesforce, is so a thousand percent customizable Mm -hmm. that you can do anything you want. And then to make that efficient, because sometimes when you have unlimited limited options, there's just, we could do anything. What do we do? There's some of these things that sit on top of the platform and they can kind of like build stuff out for you. But the problem is you start adding a bunch of those on and then, yeah. And it's like, well, how do we, I think a lot of people, what yeah. they're doing is now once they've put in time with some of these things, they're using that setup and those type of things to make requirements for building it out custom themselves on mm-hmm. Salesforce regular. So that right. way they don't have to pay for the app add on, but they're using that as like, okay, we did like when they did this, we didn't like when they did that. And then they're putting it all into default objects in Salesforce so that Mm -hmm. you don't have all these weird customizations. So then you go to try to connect to something. It doesn't want to connect because you're using this super customized thing. Right. And and yeah, the the challenge really is we're shifting to like ABM is just thinking more about groups of people and, and teams. Do you, do you have a lot of individuals as customers or do you have like organizations that you said? We have organs. Yeah. So we're, we're B2B primarily. Um, Okay. Yeah. yeah, Primarily. Um, So we have um, our customers are usually a company and then client contacts within a company. Got it. Yeah. And so in those situations, like it's like, well, what happens when three different people come in from that account? If you don't have a process in place, then you end up with like three versions of that company and like the tracking can be weird and it's hard to find the right people. We had yeah. um, one group we were working with, um, this was a couple of years back where they, they, they kind of reached out to us because one of the problems they had is this was like a medical company and um, they kept buying other medical companies. And so they would sell like million dollar hospital equipment type things. And, but they had this issue that where they couldn't see what everyone else saw because Every, every product they had, the big million dollar product, every one they had, had, had its own sales team and each sales team wanted lead, a lead, like a lead person object. Even if they're already in the system, they wanted a lead to kind of, so they were doing it wrong, but that's what they wanted in sales and marketing was kind of just to your point earlier, if you don't stick up for yourself, they're just sort of going with it. And so what ended up happening was this one customer bought this million dollar piece of equipment and the very next day got cold called by two other people at that same company, different departments, different yeah. sales teams. And it treated that person like a cold call, like a lead has never heard of that company. Like, I'm cringing. Have you heard of us? And the guy was, first he laughed and he was kind of like, as he's sharing the story, like indignant because it was like, are you kidding me? Like I yeah. just literally spent a million dollars with you guys yesterday. Right. You have no, you have no idea. <laughs> like, that's crazy. But that's what I mean. Like it's, yeah. it's this idea of, of contact management and really kind of like 
understanding the contact ecosystem and how your users should be using an interface to manage those relationships and track everything. Like you just said, like, that's like, I think that there are huge challenges for many companies, big and small, um, when it comes to that. Right. Right. Yeah. I mean, the, the possibilities are endless. And the other day, like a couple of days after that incident, I went to visit another company in health and life sciences who was doing it right. And they had none of the stress and none of the crazy, none of the worry that that other company had because they were doing it right. And right. they could see that 360 degree view of the customer where they knew they had, you know, they had bought from this department, that department. And I could see like when you have three or four different services, you know, yeah. somebody could buy from you in different ways, but maybe they're not all engaged with you across the board, maybe just part, but it'd be great to know for everyone to be on board, like, okay, they're working with us on tax. Right. Are they working with us on this other thing? And if not, right. maybe we can do some marketing to get them there. Right. Let's not treat them like they don't know us at all, you know? Yep. Yeah, it's definitely a challenge. Yep. You know, so, I, I've seen um, process really help with that. Just map out that buyer process, that, that buyer journey, just, just to say like, okay, what is it like? And to your point, the customer experience, you know, just map right. it out. And yeah. make a few small changes. Like one instance was people were um, uh, individuals didn't make new accounts. There was a certain team that was responsible for making new accounts because most of the accounts were already in there. So they're like, if you want to make a new account, somebody else has to look at it and then approve it, so that it wasn't just you know thirty people all making new accounts. Half of them were duplicates, and then you have to try to get rid of duplicates right. behind the scenes. No, no, no. There was a little approval process in front just to make sure they weren't creating duplicates up front. Yeah. yeah. All that makes sense. So you, I mean, we've just been chatting about a whole bunch of marketing and crazy. <laughs> like, who are you? Can you, can you take us back? Like the little days, what was it like growing like little Carrie? You know, yeah. you're always going to be in marketing and what was it like? Where'd you grow up? And, and uh, take us through. Like, yeah. You, yeah. So I, um, little Carrie, huh? So I grew up in Western yeah. Maryland. And when okay. I tell people from this, so I live in, um, the Annapolis area now, when I tell people in like the DC Metro and the Annapolis region that I'm from Western Maryland, they're like, Oh, Frederick, Maryland, which is like 120 miles away from where I live. Yeah. They don't even get close. So like, I'm in like the Maryland is like, you know, that has like that skinny part. So like yeah. I'm from like that skinny, tiny area and the left, they call it panhandle of the state. Got it. So you're like that yeah. way, but not that much that way. And so yeah. it's like the close, is, is there anything closer? You can be like, no, I'm actually that city. Yeah. They're like, they have no yeah. idea what it is. Right. So it's, I, I'm from a pretty small town called Cumberland, Maryland. And, um, you know, very rural area. I spend a lot of time outdoors. Um, a lot of time playing sports. I have always loved, had a passion for art. And then yes. I went to school to, at West Virginia Wesleyan. Um, I studied, actually, I was in pre-med for like a year and I was like, I'm not, I can't do that. I, I've always had this Where'd struggle of like from? Yeah. right side of my brain with left side of my brain. And it's okay. like passion for art and fun and science, you know, creativity, but mm-hmm. then also like data and analytics and science. So I started it out and I was like, I can't do this. And then quickly got into graphic design and that's what my, um, my primary degree is in. Was there some um, moment where you're like, dissecting a cat and you're like this is bullshit (laughs) I don't want to do this yeah I mean it wasn't that exactly but it was definitely like I don't know to make a career of that right like you have to be in school for like eight years plus and like I was like I can't do that I'm going to be ready after four years I know I'm going to be ready and so I was already taking like fine art classes so I was like let me just see what this design thing is about and I just like hopped over like I didn't know anything about it and it just stuck so Wow. Yeah. And you've always been doing kind of art all throughout growing up and just kind of. Fine art. I mean, like painting and drawing and all of those types of things, like expressing myself in those types of ways. But like, I never even really understood what graphic design was. It wasn't big when I went to school, Um, not in high school anyway. So yes, I did that in college. And then after college, I just, um, I started working for like a, an architecture firm. And at that moment I was like handling some like day to day, processes of the firm and then they started incorporating me into some like business development type presentations where I was handling client presentations the development of such and then from there I was like oh well this kind of is marketing um I worked for like a fine art gallery after that doing the same thing like business development and sales and like 
you know, I established a website for the, the art gallery I worked for, you know, within the first year of working for them. And it was like, everything I kept doing was kind of like building to this like marketing portfolio. Mm, right. Um, spent a little bit of time in construction, working for a general contractor in Maryland and then a nonprofit trade association in construction. I spent almost five years in that industry. Did you ever think of just like being an artist full time? I think my, the, what is, so which is technical, the right side or the left side? Um, I think left is the logical side, but I'll It's the logical. Yeah. So that side of my brain would like not allow me to do it. Oh, so really like both sides were. I need it. I need both, both sides functioning. And that's why I think I landed Got in marketing because it. it really is like there's, it's, it's creative at the same time. It's very like database. It's technical and scientific. Got it. Yeah. yeah. No, I, I checked to make sure we're on. Like not, people are going to yell at us later, but yeah, the is left, left side, side is that logical side. So yeah, yeah you, I, I can relate to that because I totally get it, right? I like a little bit of both, a yeah. lot of both, but like not totally one or the other. Yeah. I like both sides of my brain churning at all times. And I think that's why I kind of landed in the marketing path. Yeah. It was like every, every step of my career was kind of like, I, I learned something new. It was either like, oh, I was doing like business to business, um, business to business, business development. And then I would like learn something new in marketing. And then mm -hmm. I would go to, I went to the nonprofit trade association and there I like really learned about like, like um, kind of like contact handling. Um, yeah. So like every step of my career, I just kind of like learned something more and added to the marketing portfolio. Wow. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. I, I could see that being the case and just like each little experience you gather a little bit more information and then right. eventually you're just like, actually, was there any moment where you're, you're kind of like, Oh yeah. Marketing. I think it was that when I started working for a general contractor in Maryland, mm -hmm. I was like, Oh, this is exactly what marketing is. It's understanding your audience and being able to like articulate something to an audience and express like you have a service that you can provide. And it's not because you want to sell the service, but it's because the client needs the service. Um, I think that clicked, you know, 10 years ago, whenever that was. And then yeah. from that point on, I was like, oh, this is like a, an art and a science at the same time. And I just right. kind of like stuck. Right. I really liked your definition, by the way, just now of like, you just summarized marketing. It's like audience communicating it, a point, yeah. getting them information. Yeah, that's, I, I'm not even going to try to repeat it because I'll just, like, <laughs> I'll just back 15 seconds when I listen to this later and be like, there that's we go. All I need to do. But yeah, yeah. that's really cool. Or just kind of like the pieces came together. And um, did you always know you were this left and right side thing? I mean, was there a point in time you kind of figured that out? Cause I, I think for me, it was like high school, there was a little test you could take, which was like, are you left brain or right brain? And it puts a little dot on your brain um, on the screen to show you. And I took the thing and it was like in the middle, it's like, sorry, you're in the middle. <laughs> exactly. Same yeah. for me. Yeah. Same for me. Every time I take any of those type of like personality tests or whatever, yeah. I'm always like that an anomaly. They're like, we don't really know what to do with you. Like you're, you shouldn't go into art and you shouldn't go into science. You need yeah. to figure out something that does both. Yeah. They're like, you'd be a terrible artist. I'm like, Oh, yeah. you'd be, you'd be a terrible mathematician. Like, right. I don't like a little bit of both. Um, uh, yeah. You know, um, personality tests and you know, you mentioned that kind of thing. Uh, have you done like the, um, the Myers-Briggs? Mm-hmm. They, they tricked me. I used to like, oh, I hate Myers-Briggs. And then they tricked me by rebranding it to 16personalities.com. Like, oh. Wait, well, I've never, I haven't heard of this because oh, I, yes, I actually know. like Myers-Briggs. Well, well, I, I kind of do now a little bit, but, um, but like, so 16 personalities. I like all these tests, by the way. I just, I love if they're kind of teaching me a little bit about myself and yeah. Yeah. So I went to 16personalities.com sounds like an advertisement, but, um, I went there and I was like, Oh, this is neat. Is neat. It's actually Myers-Briggs underneath it. And, and, funny. and so you're like, you know, like, Oh, that's some old school thing. No, they, they updated it. The challenge though is, um, and thankfully now they show a little bit of the spectrum, but your results, you know, it's like E N T J that kind of yeah. thing. Um, the challenge with that, it's like one or the other, it's Boolean like this or that. And I wonder if you bumped into this too. I think for, for me, one of them is like thinking versus feeling. Mm -hmm. And it was like, okay, so you're a, you're a feeler. But when I look at the type personality type of technically what it says I am, there's this funny video on YouTube of like this girl who is like completely that she's like happy fun, you know? And then there's yeah. her roommate who's like super serious, but I'm like, I'm not exactly that completely happy fun girl on the example on YouTube. 
because when I looked at the results, it actually was like, oh, you're 51%. Feeling, you know, but that yeah. means I'm 49% thinking and I'm like right. judging myself and not being able to, you know, so it, it's interesting that there's actually that spectrum. And if you're in the middle, you're kind of like, um, yep. no man's land. I know. It means you can be, you can either be nothing or you can be everything at the same time. Yes. Yes. You, all things, right? All things. Have you ever done Colby? Have you heard of that one? No. You should Mm-mm. definitely check it out. Um, okay. It's K-O-L-B-E. Yep. And instead of being a personality, which is like more of a preference, it's actually your instincts for tackling challenges. Mm-hmm. And what's interesting is it doesn't change because a lot of these other ones will change over time. If you, um, I know disc, if you're around a bunch of dominant people, you don't have to be, your dominance will be lower. And, or if you need to be, it'll be higher. But, um, but Colby never changes. And they've been testing it for 30 plus years now. So what That's you get awesome. is what you get. And I'm writing that one down. Yeah. Yeah. It, um, I liked it so much. I actually went out and got like this three-day training out in Arizona from Kathy Colby. And it's very interesting. But one of the th- takeaways for me on that one is while there's different, there's four different things, um, like how much planning do you need to do before you take on a challenge? How much um, data do you need to gather? Do you need to research a whole bunch or don't need any? I'm just going to go wing it. Um, and there's that kind of stuff of like, oh, some people just We'll just pick some ideas and go for it and try it out and try the next one, try the next one. Other people will plan, other people will research, you know? And so right. everyone's got their specialty, but what brought this up was in Colby, you have numbers instead. So like I'm a four, three, nine, three, but if you're in the middle, it's actually really cool. And so as I've looked at other people's results, there's actually a, like a unicorn result, which is if you're in the middle on all of them, it means you're not super any one of them, but it actually means you can adjust to be whatever's missing in the group. So it's like the perfect team player is that middle Colby result. Um, and that's what you are. No, no, that's not what I am. No, oh. no. I have a nine. I'm four, three, three, nine, three. So I'm just massive on the quick start side, which means <laughs> let's come up with some ideas and brainstorm and let's just try some and then see what work, Yeah, um, which can drive the planners crazy. So you got to understand right. each other and um, that kind of thing. Um, but yeah, yeah. So it, it just goes to show that, you could just consider yourself, oh, I don't have a high score in anything. No, no, no. Like even the, the low number is a good thing. There's strengths across the board. It's not like one score is better than the other. Yeah, I'm going to check it out. I think that's cool. Yeah, let me know what you are. I instantly started colbing people around me too because yeah. what ends up happening is if your number's uh, four more different from the people you work with or you're married to, they will find you, like how you act in that particular situation is like you're an alien. And they're like... <laughs> I don't understand you. You don't make any sense yeah. to me. And uh, you're deficient in this area. No, we're just, compl- we're just different in this way we approach things, you know? Right. Usually in, there's like a team where someone's the planner and someone deals with change. Like when the plans get thrown out the door, someone's like, oh, okay, well, this is, this is what we can do. Because normally the planner's like freaking out because the plan is off, right? And right. So there's different kinds of people, but you, you want a planner to be in the planner job and you want the, um, the person who can adapt real quickly to be in something like a sales job. So there's all sorts of really strengths to it. Very cool. Colby. Yeah. I could talk all day about it. Um, <laughs> hey, so, so question for you, um, hypothetical. Yeah. I may or may not have a time machine in New Hampshire and you can't use it now because of COVID, but let's say, you know, that's all done. You can borrow my time machine, go back in time, talk to yourself. You just graduated graphic design. You just graduated college. Yeah. Like, you know, nothing. And it's like, what would you tell yourself? Would you give yourself any advice? Like do this, do that. Don't do this. Oh man. That's a loaded question. Yeah. That's why I wait till the end to, to ask it. <laughs> yeah. No, I mean, I like how my career has played out. I feel yeah. like marketing is a good fit for me, like a really great fit for my personality. Um, but I think I could have sped up the process in reaching that conclusion mm if I would have just known better. Right. So like the reason I kind of came into it is because I kept asking like the why questions, like Mm. design was never enough. Right. So like, I always wanted to know, like, why are we doing this design and what is it for? And you know, you know what I mean? So like, if I would have known better, I think I probably would have had a faster track into marketing as a career. So I don't know that that's really like giving myself advice, but like, yeah. Could you, could you convince yourself to figure that out? How would you, how would you I, do that? I mean, I think so. 
I don't know. I mean, I probably would have like started looking like in an ad, like working in-house at an ad agency or yeah. something right away. Um, and I didn't really experience that until like probably halfway through like the career that I have now. Sure. Um, that's like, you could like really gain a lot of experience working at an agency and understanding both the client side, the in-house side and kind of like, what are all of the, what are all the facets of marketing that fit together? Like, I feel like you learn all of that in an agency. So I probably would have like maybe sought employment at an agency at the yeah. onset of my career. But like now that I'm in-house at an you know, I've always worked in-house actually um, and partnered with ad agencies. Like I never would want to go back. I think it's amazing that those people have those careers and I have yeah. a lot of friends that work for agencies, um, but it's a different pace. Yeah. It's definitely a different pace. Um, different world. It's a different world. And not only that, I also feel like once you're in an agency, you kind of like find your focus area and like that's where you live. And mm. I like being in-house where I can kind of like see like the comprehensive marketing picture. That's a really good point. Yeah, agencies tend to you tend to be focused and have a specialty or something. Right. Whereas you you sometimes need to do everything when you're in marketing out. Exactly. Like, yep. Yeah. And you find the external help like in an agency if you need it, right? Like you have the flexibility to do that when you work in house. Right. And I see the value of, of trying those. Whether you're an agency, you should try the client side, client side, try the because to your point, like you may speed up finding your specialty or right. um, after being in a specialty for a while, realize I kind of want to do a little bit everything and kind of mix it up and keep it, keep it, um, you know, keep me on my toes and, and right. try a little bit of everything. Right. Exactly. Yeah. Huh. Yep. Well, that's cool. Have you, do you keep up the painting? Do you keep up any of the art things? And yeah, I do. Yeah. So adulting? I have, I have two boys, two, oh, awesome. two children, a two year old and a four year old. Um, so they keep me on my toes and I don't have a lot of free time before yeah, I had them no free time. Yeah, no free time whatsoever. Um, and I love every second of it. So I think like eventually maybe when they get a little bit older, I'll get back into like drawing or something, but, um, yeah. not a lot of time for it now. You'd be surprised. Cause like with my, um, with my kids, my wife also likes, um, like the, the painting the art and just stuff, like stuff like that. So with the homeschooling, we she's had more of a chance to ex expose them to it. She gets to be the art teacher. Yeah. They did this project where they all painted on these little, oh, a little bit larger than a postcard, little tiny mm -hmm. canvases or whatnot. Um, and she taught them, and they were using like wire brushes and stuff. And yeah, little Monets, right? Little things were like yeah. the lilies and stuff. Oh, and then I'm like, that's so How did cool. You do that. And we did a we did a little art auction this weekend. Yeah. So, and you know, and, and a part of the proceeds were going to go for them to like earn. Stuff. The other part was to like go to the school for art supplies. Oh, and that's amazing. They, they painted these different things over time. And then they had an art show, kind of like an art auction. And my wife was like the auctioneer. And she'd be like, okay, this is lot number four. Uh, <laughs> you know, whatever the, my, my son or daughter called it. And they're like, okay, this is, you know, water lilies in the fall. And, you know, Lizzie, what, what were you thinking when you created this thing? We got it all on Facebook Live. So it was like, she was like, oh, la, 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 la. And I was the cameraman. And uh, <laughs> it, it was awesome. And then we had people bidding on yeah. uh, Facebook. It was like a silent auction. And my, you know, my parents picked up a couple pieces. Some of our family friends did. Yeah. There's little bidding wars going on in some of them too. They're like, That's no, amazing. No, I, I want that thing. Hard, hard pass on letting you get it. I, I want that water lily, you know? It was I'm cool. taking that idea. I'm stealing that idea. Do it, please. Yeah, let me know yeah. how it goes. Yeah. Um, and uh, what kind of art comes from it. I was, yeah. and I'll, I'll send you some photos too of like um, what some of the things they did. Some of them, it, some didn't even make it into the auction because like both of us <laughs> were like hard stop. We're not getting rid of that because- I love that. It's amazing. And like the grassy hill had all these different colors layered into it. We're like, and like, I don't know the magic. I don't understand it. So, but somehow yeah. they did it and they're just like blown away by it. So- yeah, definitely That's still amazing. that idea. Yeah, I will. I actually, so while you were talking, I realized on my desk, I have a piece of art from my oldest son. Really? So I'm going to show it to you right now. Yeah, yeah, hold it up. <laughs> really? Is that like clay? <laughs> it's a clay, it's clay and it came in a kit. So like, you know, he's four years old. He can't like create a skeleton oh, no, no. structure, but like, this is what he made for me for my desk. And he made sure to keep part of the skeleton revealed. Yes. Yes. There's <laughs> something to that. So it's like this cool factor. It's like a purple blue horse. I think purple. it's a unicorn. Oh, oh, is it a unicorn? I and think it's got so. a cool, like light blue mane. Yeah. Yeah. People check it out on YouTube. Yeah. So anyone that's listening YouTube, we got the video, but yeah, that's cool. And I have the skeleton underneath. Yeah, man. Do you know what it was cool. called? Um, gosh, what is it? 
I'll, I'll something... steal the idea back because John would totally yeah. dig the skeletons. Woody, I'll have to find it. And if I don't okay. remember it by the end of this, then I'll send you a note. Okay. It's like yeah. some type of creator. I found it on Amazon. Yeah. Okay. Cool. Yeah. Cool uh, skeleton horse. Yeah. Play-Doh thing. <laughs> That's cool. That is really neat. Uh, yep. I think we're getting creative these days when we're just at home with kids. And yeah. Um, it, and I think I, we found that, I don't know if you've seen this too. Um, wow. Like when you have a parent teaching a kid, you can get a lot more done super fast yep. done by the afternoon. It's just like 10 times more work. You yeah. Know? Right. It's tough. Right. But I can see how in the old days you're like, yeah, just learn by the fireplace and we'll just teach you what we right. know. Well, the one-on-one -on -one interaction, I'm sure. I mean, yeah. you can't replace that. No, you can't. Right. You, you can't get a, you can't get away with as much. <laughs> yeah, right. But you can go outside and and uh, we were using Legos for math instead of drawing sticks. You know, so yeah. it was cool. It was really cool. That um, was cool. Sweet. Well, this has been this has been fun. Where where can people connect with you if they want to like harass you, learn some more stuff? Um, yeah. Just connect. Um, you know, LinkedIn. What places are good? Yeah. So I think for me, um, I'd say visiting the Aronson LLC website, it's AronsonLLC.com. My contact information is um, on there. You can also reach out to me on LinkedIn. Um, you can also reach me by email, C-H-A-N-K-E-Y at AronsonLLC.com. Um, cool. And just so people know why I'm crazy and keep saying it wrong, it's spelled A-O-R-O-N-S-O-N. Yeah. <laughs> Aronson. Um, yeah, totally. Totally. Okay, cool. So people connect connect with you. We'll put all that in the show notes so people can just click clickety clickety click and get onto that. And if we do figure out um the Plato thing at any point, we'll link to that too. Yeah, right? definitely. As well. Okay, this has been awesome. What do it's you think? Been great. It's been great. This is my first podcast experience. I thought it was thought it was good. It was good to talk through some of the it's just good to talk about marketing. Yeah. No, it's good to talk about it. And first of all, you survived. Uh, second of all, <laughs> it was awesome because, I mean, I've learned a bunch of things just from just listening and kind of collaborating and chit-chatting with you. Same. Um, and, you know, and to the people listening, if you've learned something, and I know you have, because I literally have a page and a half of notes over here, um, <laughs> then share this with someone else, right? Be a thought leader to like eight people, 14 people, however many people you have on LinkedIn, that could be like 400. You don't even know it, but share this information. And the best way to do that is to you know, listen to the show, put it in your own words. What did you learn? What, what takeaways did you have from this? I know I, well, my takeaways are from my notes, the audience, the verticals, BD, and all the different things we talked about, the visualization, contact management, but what, what were your takeaways, right? So put your takeaways on the LinkedIn, link to the episode, definitely hit carry up on LinkedIn. Um, or email. Don't be, don't be a weirdo. Tell her where you heard her <laughs> podcast. Cause we get a lot of LinkedIn spam these days. So uh, definitely do that. And uh, again, Carrie, thank you again for coming on here. This has been so much fun. Thanks for having me, Casey. This was, this was awesome. Perfect. So cool. So cool. We'll have to have you come on back on here and we'll talk more about everything else later on after we get out of the COVID thing and, and we all survive that. So sounds good. Will do. Yeah. All righty. Well, Hey, cool. This has been the Hardcore Marketing Show, everyone. We will catch you all next time. All right. A big thank you to today's sponsors. Cheshire Impact, helping marketers and sales win, maximizing the use of Pardot and Salesforce. And a big thank you to Qualified.com, the number one live chat and chat bot platform for Salesforce and Pardot. Remember the giveaway. If you have Salesforce Pardot and you want a free copy of my book, Marketing Automation Unleashed, then you go over to Qualified.com, engage in a chat, do a demo, and tell them that Casey sent you, and that book will be on its way to your door. All right. We'll see you all in the next one.